For many years, bilateral oophorectomy has been a routine part of hysterectomy. After a certain age, it was felt that the role of the ovaries in helping women achieve hormonal balance was outweighed by the risks for ovarian cancer, thus offering women their best odds of long-term survival. Yet new evidence on the risks of routine bilateral oophorectomy challenges this conventional wisdom. Is it time we change our practice? You are listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery and Practicing General Surgeon. And our guest is Dr. William Parker, Clinical Professor of Gynecology at the University of California, Los Angeles' David Geffen School of Medicine, and a faculty member of the John Wayne Cancer Institute in Santa Monica, California. Welcome, Dr. Parker. Hi, thank you very much for having me. Dr. Parker, you're the lead author of this new research on bilateral ophorectomy. Tell us what you set out to determine and your results. Well, I was trained in the 1970s and uh, was trained like most gynecologists to take out ovaries at the time of hysterectomy in women 40 or 45 and over to prevent ovarian cancer. And I'm also in private practice. And after many years of seeing patients and not seeing very many patients with ovarian cancer, fortunately, but also knowing of other patients who had died of heart disease, had gotten hip fractures, strokes, etc., it seemed to me maybe we were looking at this issue the wrong way. So we did an initial study in 2005 trying to look at a computer model to see whether the risks outweighed the benefits of oophorectomy we found that they probably, the risks were higher than the benefits, and then we set out to do this current study. Why did it seem to take so long? Because we all knew that once women became menopausal, their risks for heart disease went up, and we all know that ovarian carcinoma is not a common malignancy. Why did this take until 2005 when you studied it and continuing on to the present so long? Yeah, it's a really good question. I've been asked it about 50 times. (laughs) Why didn't anybody do this before? I don't know why nobody else did it before, but uh, we've known since the 70s that the ovaries continue to make hormones, estrogen in low levels, testosterone and androstenedione, male hormones in fairly significant and consistent levels. That information has been known, and I don't know why nobody thought to do it, but I think we were all so nervous about ovarian cancer. It's a terrible disease. We have still have no good way to detect it. We still have no good way to cure it. And I think that for gynecologists who are the ones making the decision about oophorectomy or not, that's the disease that scares us. And coronary heart disease, we may know that that happens to our patients, but we don't take care of them when it happens. The same for hip fracture, the same for stroke. So I just think we were looking at it through a very kind of painted perspective. And what about with breast cancer in terms of doing an ophorectomy? Well, there's only a few studies that have looked at this, but what the studies have shown is that if you take out a woman's ovaries before age 50, she gets 10 years of protection with a lower risk of breast cancer, but in the 11th year, her risk goes back to baseline, whatever it would have been. So that's been known, but that data is kind of weak, and it certainly hasn't been enough to make doctors make gynecologists take out ovaries. I think the ovarian cancer issue has been the foremost issue. So where do you think we should stand now? In other words, let's say a patient requires a hysterectomy for benign disease. 
What should we do? How should we present to the patient whether or not their ovaries come out or what clinical factors should we take into account? Well, I think, and to be very clear up front, if a patient has a very strong history of breast or ovarian cancer, family history, or is BRCA1 or 2 positive, those patients absolutely should have their ovaries taken out or be encouraged to do so once childbearing is completed. That's fairly clear because there's a lot of protection against those terrible diseases. If a patient is not in a family with a high genetic risk, then I think they have to be presented with the information. These are the risks, these are the benefits, and they can be allowed to make their own decision. But my own experience has been women intuitively would rather keep their ovaries unless they've had somebody in the family have ovarian cancer. Why do you think that is? I think if it's not broken, don't fix it. You know, I think they feel like that's part of their body and why take something out that's not broken. And, okay, ovarian cancer is a very rare disease, and they're providing me some hormones, and I think I'd rather hold on to them. That's been my sense. How do the other gynecologists throughout the country feel about this? Well, I can only tell you what's been said to my face, <laughs> so, so I don't really know, but I've had a lot of positive comments. Uh, some people have come up and said, you know, I, I kind of thought that was true, but we were taught to do it the other way. And I've had a lot of support from residents, from younger doctors who are training, who don't have preconceived notions or haven't been taught this is the only way to do it. They've been very receptive. I've given some talks in town at UCLA and at Stanford about a month ago. and The residents have been very receptive to this new concept. Well, what about the percent of patients, if you do remove their ovaries, that will have to go on hormonal treatment? How much is that? What percent would you get? Well, guess? here's the dilemma. And when we wrote the first article, I got a kind of unpleasant letter to the editor saying, well, if we take out all the ovaries for these women, we can treat them with statins for their heart disease, and we can treat them with bisphosphonates for their bones and estrogen for their other symptoms. The problem is that following the Women's Health Initiative, less than 20% of women are taking estrogen in this country who are candidates to take estrogen. And if you look at numbers for a year after prescribing bisphosphonates, less than 20% of those women are taking them a year later, despite the fact that we all think our patients walk out the door and do exactly what we tell them to do. Uh -huh. They don't do that. So I think we're fooling ourselves to think that we can really treat these women and make up for the hormonal difference. And I think better to leave their own hormones doing what they were designed to do. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and our guest is Dr. William Parker, Clinical Professor of Gynecology at the University of California, Los Angeles' David Geffen School of Medicine, and a faculty member of the John Wayne Cancer Institute in Santa Monica, California. We're discussing the potential risks of routine bilateral ovarectomy during a hysterectomy. Dr. Parker, tell us, what is the change in terms of lung cancer with respect to leaving in the ovaries or taking them out? Mark, this is a really surprising finding, and we're not exactly sure why, but when the ovaries are taken out, the risk of lung cancer just about doubles. Why do you think that is? There are some studies that have shown uh, at least a correlation with dietary estrogen in cultures where there's a lot of dietary estrogen, soy products, etc., that lung cancer incidence is lower. So the thought is that 
something about estrogen decreases that risk, and when you take out the ovaries, which are making male hormones that are then converted by the body into estrogens, and you lose those estrogens, that it increases the risk. But it's really a preliminary finding, and in our paper, we've asked other people to look at this from a research point of view and see if it's confirmed. I'm going to pick a little bit on my own specialty, general surgery. You know, years ago in my training, when we used to do colon cancer, we used to very commonly remove the ovaries at the same time. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I think if a patient has colon cancer, then she may be at higher risk for ovarian cancer. Certainly in the BRCA1 and 2 genes, that could happen. So if it's indicated, fine. If it's not indicated and the patient has no genetic risk, I would say no. It's not a good idea. So where do we go with this data in terms of changing practice patterns and surgical procedures? I would hope that this really does change practice patterns because I think we've all, for 30 years, the consent process for oophorectomy has been two sentences. I think we should take out your ovaries because you might get ovarian cancer. The woman hears that word and the answer is fine. And that's the end of the consent. And I think that's no longer adequate. I think we have to now spend more time discussing the risks and the benefits for that particular individual. And um, I think there's a very good case to be made to lean more towards leaving ovaries in rather than taking them out. Be the devil's advocate in terms of people who have disagreed with this or challenged what you said. What has been some of the best arguments that have been said to you? You know, I think it's an emotional issue and the arguments haven't been scientific. Even if you look at our paper, 16,000 women have their ovaries uh, left in, or 15,000, followed for 24 years, and there were 30-some-odd cases of ovarian cancer in 24 years in 16,000 women. So, yeah, it's a bad disease, but it's a rare disease. Just how rare is it, if you talk statistics? Well, if you take the general population in a woman's lifetime, so over 35, 40, 50 years, those patients have a 1% risk of getting ovarian cancer, and as you know, 70% of women will die from ovarian cancer who get it. However, a woman with three or four babies who's taken uh, birth control pills for a couple of years decreases that risk to three per thousand. So, you know, there's kind of a wide spectrum, but it's still a very rare disease. Compare that with coronary heart disease, which kills 45% of all women. Any change we make in that large number of coronary heart disease patients is going to way overshadow the small number of ovarian cancer patients. And in fact, that's what our study found, is that if you look at any age group, mortality was lower if the ovaries were left in. Why do you think that common knowledge always speaks to the fact that women, even after menopause, and this is obviously incorrect, are protected from heart disease and don't suffer as much as men? That's really a myth, isn't it? I think that if you have your ovaries, you're making uh, low levels of estrogen, which are cardioprotective. There's this vasodilatation. There are a number of mechanisms that have been offered in lower cholesterols, et cetera. But I think if your ovaries are out, then it is a myth. Then I think you're not protected. What do you do if one of your patients says, well, okay, I read your study. I understand what you're saying. And I talked to another gynecologist who says the ovary should come out. What if we just take one ovary out? What do you say to that? makes no sense. It does not decrease your risk of ovarian cancer by 50%, which is something 
gynecologists have been taught along the way, and it probably doesn't change the hormone profile either because the other ovary is still going to be making estrogen. So I don't think it's worth doing. If you're going to leave the ovaries, you should probably just leave both. So where do you go from here in the sense that you've got this article that has very, very good data and certainly conclusive I mean, where do you go now for the research, or are you essentially done saying, look, we have to change what we're doing in the operating room? Well, the one fault of the study, and you asked about criticism, I haven't gotten the letters to the editor for this publication because it's new, but my guess is it's going to be that this is an observational study, and the women were all nurses. It's from the Nurses' Health Study, so they're all pretty well-educated and socioeconomically pretty equivalent, but they all did choose for whatever reason on their own, whether they were going to leave their ovaries in or have their ovaries taken out. So obviously the best study to do would be prospective randomized. It's hard to do surgically. I think it will be hard to do for women to get them to accept it, but there is a colleague of mine in UC San Francisco, and they're going to try to do a prospective randomized study and then follow women over time to see what kind of results they get. Well, you were speaking before about the resident training in terms of how it used to be if you remove the uterus, you remove the ovaries. What are they teaching the residents now? Well, again, this has only been out for a month, but I've had a lot of residents come up to me and say, you know, we're, this is what we're doing now. This comes up every pre-op conference, and we're now leaning more towards leaving the ovaries in. So I think it will change. But as you know, things in medicine, unfortunately, change very slowly. Yes. And uh, I know there's a, there's a doctor in town, he's a good doctor, good gynecologist, smart guy, and he said, oh, it was a really nice study. I said, oh, great, what do you think? He thinks, well, you know, that might be okay if you live in North Dakota to have your ovaries in, but in Los Angeles, <laughs> everybody wants them out. I said, no, not every woman wants them out. You're telling them to have them out. So it's going to be a long road, I'm sure. What about the patient that may not be at high risk for breast cancer? But let's say he has breast cancer in their family. I think that's going to be a flip of the coin. That patient's going to have to decide for themselves. You know, if they have a very strong history of coronary heart disease, maybe that tips the scale. If they have no history of coronary heart disease, maybe the breast cancer tips the scale. But I think we're going to have to individualize, like everything else that we do in medicine, as to what's best for that patient. We have been talking with Dr. William Parker about the potential risks of routine bilateral ophrectomy during a hysterectomy. And Dr. Parker, thank you for being our guest. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. And thank you for listening.